All right. All three sessions connect with each other. They are like dominoes. Boom, boom, boom. So we're going to jump into the first one. The first one is to understand the world. The next one is uh, the situation and then the solution. One of the things is that we all want to have a better life. We all want to have a happy life. We all want to enjoy life. We all want to see life play out in good, positive ways for us. So how can we achieve a happy life? And in that, how do my choices lead me to a better life? How do my choices lead me to a happy life? How does what I believe, very specifically, lead me to being happy or unhappy? How does what I think do that? Now, all of these statements and questions, they all have to do with your worldview and with our worldviews. So you may not realize it, but every day you are affected. You are influenced by the worldviews of the people around you. We are influenced by all of them. The worldviews of your friends, the worldviews of the people that you work with, the worldviews of uh, the media, of celebrities, the people you listen to on the radio, things that you hear at school, things that you hear from your professors, they they all have influence on your way of life, on how you think, on what you believe. Even if you may not be aware of it, it happens. You are influenced by their worldview. They are taking their worldview and pouring it out, and you're receiving it. You're taking it in. So, what is a worldview? Let's define it. My worldview is the beliefs I build my life on. My worldview is made up of the beliefs that I build my life on. It's how I view everything in life. It's how I view God. It's how I view myself. It's how I view other people. My worldview includes what I think about life, what I think about death, what I think about the past, the present, the future. My worldview covers all of those categories. Everything you think about in life is included in your worldview. That's why it is a worldview. It's your view on the world. Your worldview defines how you approach life. Your worldview defines how you do relationships. Your, your, your worldview is why you do what you do. Your worldview is, it's literally like it's a program running in the back of your mind, and it is constantly receiving information, filtering information, and making decisions. It is the program upon which you make all of your choices, all of your decisions. Everyone has a worldview, whether they realize it or not. Every one of you. You have a very defined worldview, whether you realize it or not, whether you've actually taken the time to think about it and define it for yourself. You have one. When you say something like, I've always thought of life as... That's the description of your worldview. I think of life as a party. I think of life as a contest. I think of life as a race. How you view life, how you view God, how you view other people, that's all a part of your worldview. Your worldview is how you approach life. So what I want to start with tonight is I want to start by giving you seven popular worldviews. Seven ways to approach life. 
These are worldviews that you could, if you're looking, you will see these. You will hear these in our culture constantly. We are constantly bombarded by these ideas from the people around us. We get them in the classroom. We get them in books. We get them in music. We get them in TV shows. We get them at the movies. We get them in advertising. Everything is pouring a worldview into your life in which they want you to adjust yourself to their worldview. So, I'm going to walk through these. The theme of this first worldview is, I want more. This worldview is called materialism. This first worldview can be summed up in one word, more. I want to have more. Materialism leads you to believe that what matters in life is things. And very specifically, it's more things. Yeah, I have some things, but I really want a few more things. See, materialism, materialists believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of more. It's always about more. They think, if I have more, I'll be more happy. If I don't get more, I'm not going to be happy at all. And then there's always that question. You know, a lot of people when asked the question, what does it take to make you happy? You know, what would it take? Most people's answer to that is more. I just, I really want to have more. I want to have bigger. I want to have stuff. That is called materialism. That is a way of life. This approach to life is about having more. It's all about stuff. This is what Jesus said about this. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's the exact opposite of what materialism says. Second worldview is, you hear it in this statement. I have to think of me first. That's called individualism. It's also called narcissism. We live in a world that says, hey, it's all about me. I have to take care of me first. I have to look out for me. I have to do what's best for me. Individualists say, I have to think of me first. You should think of you first. But of course, I need to think of me first. It's a self-centered way of doing life. It's the, I need to do what's best for me. Jesus taught a different way of life. Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, okay, that's a definition of self-centered living. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you live life for yourself, you are never going to be satisfied. This worldview will tell you that's how you get satisfied. But if you live out this worldview, you will never be satisfied. People that do this are not satisfied. You will always be empty and miserable. Jesus says the only way you can begin to live life is to move away from self-centered living. Significance does not come from serving yourself. Significance comes from serving God and serving other people. As you serve God, as you serve other people, you begin to experience significance. The next worldview is seen in this statement. Do whatever feels good. This is hedonism. Live for pleasure. Just have fun and do whatever feels good for you. Hey, you want to do it? Go do it. 
Whatever makes you happy, just do that. Hedonism is simply the desire that says the most important thing in life is how I feel. That's the most important thing. If I feel good, then life is good. If I feel bad, life is bad. In this worldview, your feelings become the judge of everything. It's all about how you feel. It's all about pleasure. The number one goal for the hedonist is to feel good. It's to experience pleasure. I want you to know that God created pleasure. And he created you in such a way to enjoy pleasure. But when that becomes your number one priority, you're heading down a slippery slope that will lead you to emptiness, dissatisfaction, unhappiness. When that becomes your driving force, you begin to lose life. Listen to what the Bible says. Are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. So if pleasure is the pursuit of your life, you will not be satisfied because you will always want more, more experiences, more pleasure, more thrill. Another worldview is is heard in this. Do whatever works for you. This worldview is called pragmatism. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. If it, it doesn't matter if it hurts anybody else or not. If it works, do it. That's pragmatism. This is the end justifies the means philosophy of life. If you get this end, it doesn't matter how you get it. That's pragmatism. The reality is it really does matter how you get there. You need to get there in the right way, in a way that honors God, in the way that pleases God. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It seems right in the moment, but it leads to death. See, a lot of things might seem right. Hey, whatever works for you, just do it. But in the end, they lead to death. For example, if I were to come and say to you, I don't believe in the law of gravity. I don't. Hey, hey, if it works for you, that's fine, but it doesn't work for me. I don't believe in it. To prove it to you, hey, let's go to New York. Let's go to the top of the Empire State Building, and I'll prove this to you. I will jump off of the building. To prove that there is no law of gravity. It's a long ways down. Let's say I'm just kind of floating down. You stick your head out the window about halfway and you say, hey, how's it going? Good so far. It's going good so far. A lot of people do things and they think, hey, it's working out good so far. But in the end, there's death. That's what happens when you believe something to be a non-reality that is a reality. So far, so good, but in the end, it's death. See, just because something is working now doesn't mean that it is right or that you should keep doing it. It doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Just because you're not feeling the consequences of something today doesn't mean you should keep doing it. Okay, here's another one. 
Number five, God does not exist. Or if he does exist, he doesn't matter. This worldview is called naturalism. It's also called atheism. Atheists believe that everything in life is the result of random chance. We're all just accidents of nature. There is no creator. There is no God. God does not exist. God does not matter. That would be the cry of the atheist. Here's the reality behind this worldview. If God doesn't exist, and if God doesn't matter, you don't matter. Anybody could do anything they want to you in that realm because you don't matter. You're just a freak of nature. Therefore, if I wipe you off of the planet, who cares? Without a God, without moral rightness that only comes from God, we do not have morality apart from God. That's just a, a, a truth. If there is no God, then you don't matter because you're just a freak accident of nature. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what He has made. In other words, we can look at nature and we could learn things. We could see things about God. We could look at nature and we know that God is creative. We know that God is powerful. We know that God is organized. We can see that in nature because he is the creator. And he used those elements, creativity, power, organization. This verse goes on to say, So that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. You know, I can put this in, in a bottom line. I do not have enough faith to be an atheist. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. It takes a lot more faith to believe that everything around us just happened than it does to believe that there is a creator who created everything around us. Okay, here's another one. You are your own God. This is called humanism. This maybe is the most popular idea in our Western culture, in America. This worldview says, I'm in charge. People will tell you things like, you're divine. You have a divine spark within you. You are a God. The reality is we love to hear that. We love to hear things like that because we want to be our own gods. Humanism. I am my own God. I'm in charge. I am the center of my universe. That's humanism. Reality is everyone worships something. If you don't worship God, you will end up worshiping something that God created rather than worshiping the Creator Himself. Now, it's amazing how many people will do that. Rather than worshiping God, they will worship a creation, an object. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped created things rather than the Creator. Well, then there's another worldview. This last worldview says, I want to honor God. 
This one is called theism. Theism comes from the word theo, which is the Greek word for God. Theology is the study of God. Christianity is a theistic, God-centered worldview. It's looking at the world from a view of God, from God's point of view, from God's perspective, being God-centered. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by Him and for Him. Because of that, therefore, I want to know God, the Creator. I want to honor God with how I live my life. Now, in the midst of all of this, there are also two common myths about what you believe or how you live out what you believe. One of them is called the sincerity myth, and the other one is the situational myth. The sincerity myth goes like this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. That's what I grew up with. That's what my mother told me time and time again. doesn't matter what you believe. Just be sincere about it. That doesn't work. That's not real. The problem with it is you could be sincerely wrong. Sincerity doesn't change reality. I could have a glass of liquid sitting here. And I could sincerely, sincerely believe that's water in that glass. But if I drink that glass and it's not water, it's actually poison, I'm going to be sincerely dead. Sincerity doesn't change reality. The other myth is the situational myth. The situational myth says it doesn't matter what you believe because it all depends on circumstance. In other words, if you face this circumstance, you could apply this belief to it and believe that. But, hey, if you, if you have this circumstance, then you could apply this to it. That's situational ethics. That means that what you do, what you believe in a situation can change from this situation to this situation. That's not true. One thing you need to know about all of these worldviews, all of these ways of doing life, is they're all competing for your life. And those that own the worldview, they are competing for you to buy in to their worldview. It's as if they're whispering, put materialism first, put hedonism first, put yourself first, put pleasure first. They're all competing for your allegiance. They're all competing for your loyalty. They're all competing for your life. A few years back, uh, there was a national survey that found out, amazingly, 62% of Americans consider themselves to be deeply spiritual. Isn't that interesting? 62%. But when asked a follow-up question, how does that affect your day-to-day decision-making? It didn't. It didn't affect it at all. That's because people want to say they're deeply spiritual because it's cool, but they're not actually spiritual at all. I know people like that. They want you to think they're deeply spiritual, and they're not. You probably know people like that. 
They claim to be spiritual people, but they're not. The survey said that those people make their decisions based on what feels comfortable, what causes the least conflict, what produces the better outcome for themselves. That's the definition of self-centeredness. They're only thinking of themselves. That is not spiritualism. That is self-centeredism. And we live in a very self-centered, confused society. We live in it, and it is constantly trying to influence us to live that way. So why is your approach to to life so important? Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else. That's what we're talking about. For it determines the course of your life. Now, in America, in, in our Western civilization, our heart is referred to as our emotional center. It's a, it's a feeling center. It's all about the emotions, all about the feelings, your heart. Follow your heart. Well, in theism, in following God in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the heart in, in, the book, in, in Hebrews, in the language of Hebrews, what heart means is your central guidance system. It's the control tower for all that you do in life. It determines the course of your life. So the Bible says, guard it. Don't let twisted people or twisted ideas get into your control center. Because it is that. It is a control center. It controls what you think, what you believe, what you do. It's the control tower. This verse says, guard your heart. Guard your control center. Above everything else, don't let other people's views twist yours. Guard your heart. Proverbs 29, 18 says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So what could I do? In the midst of all of this truth, what could I do? One, learn what is true. The first step in building a strong life is you learn the truth. You take time to invest in the truth. Get the truth into your life. Jesus concluded his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with a story. He wrapped it up by saying, hey, there are two guys. They're going to go out and build houses. One of them builds his house on a shaky foundation of sand. The other goes and builds his house on rock. And then there's a storm that comes. The winds blow. The rains hit. They beat against that house. The one on the sandy foundation, it crumbles. It collapses. But the one that was built on the rock, it withstands the storms of life. Build your life on the rock. Build your life on God's word, on the solid foundation. All of these other worldviews, you can build your life on them, but they're shaky. They're sandy. They don't hold up. We need to build our life on the solid rock of God and God's word. And that is a foundation that will stand firm. It will stand strong. Then Jesus says, if you're, you're, either going to, you're going to make a choice. You're either going to build your life on what I say, on the truth, 
or you're going to build your life on how you feel in the moment. You choose. Which one are you going to build on? Proverbs 23, 23 says, get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. Man, that's, we need that. Get the truth, get wisdom, get discipline, and get good judgment. So how do you learn the truth? How do you get the truth into your life? You learn the truth by taking intentional steps. You don't learn the truth haphazardly. You don't learn the truth just by bouncing around. You do some very specific things. I could give you some specific things to learn the truth. Attend church every Sunday. Listen to the message. Listen to the truth. Take the next steps. Apply it to your life. Plan on being all in with Christian Challenge. You're here at the retreat. Man, that is awesome. Great choice. You also should be all in on on Tuesday night. All in on core team. All in on the, the life groups. All in on being mentored. That's ways that you can get the truth into your life. You do things in the midst of this that puts you in constant contact with God's word. You do things that put you in constant contact with God's people. So first up, learn what is true. Second, discern what is false. The Bible says, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying teachers loose in the world. I love that the Bible tells it like it is. It doesn't do any sugarcoating. It doesn't beat around the bush. It says, hey, there are people out there lying to you. They say they're from God. They say they teach God's word, but they're not. They don't. You need to learn the truth, and you need to be able to discern what is false. You have to have the discernment. You have to discern what is false and who is fake. A third thing is turn from the world's ways to God's ways. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That phrase, the pattern of this world, that's talking about worldview. Do not conform any longer to the worldview of this world. That's talking about these things, these world's value systems are things like materialism, hedonism, individualism, naturalism. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will for you is perfect and pleasing. It's good. But you have to decide. And in reality, because you have been so influenced by the world views that I'm talking about, you have to decide to make a shift, to be transformed, to be changed, to have your worldviews changed so that your worldview becomes more theistic. It's about theism. It's about being God-centered. The message paraphrase paraphrases this verse and says, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention 
on God. Make God the center of your life. Live God-centered rather than self-centered. God wants for you to experience life. He wants that for you. And he knows that your best chance is to go with God, to listen to God, to follow God, to take God's word in and live God's ways. And I will tell you, life is good when you live life God's ways. It's not always easy because it also takes discipline, work, effort. It takes all of that. And because of that, you need help. You need God's help and you need God's people to help you. It does require those two things. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. So, in light of this, knowing that we're going to fall these over like dominoes, but just based on tonight, what choice do you need to make to live life God's way, to live life with God's people? I have a couple of thoughts. Maybe you need to choose to follow God. Maybe you need to for this first time, choose to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been a little wishy-washy in your commitment. Maybe you need to secure that. Maybe you need to move it off of the sand and onto the solid rock so that your commitment is real and solid. So maybe you need to choose to follow God. Maybe you need to choose because of that to get baptized. You know, we had a baptism last Sunday. We're going to have another one in three or four Sundays. And then we're going to have another one three or four Sundays after that. Maybe that's your next choice. Get baptized, honoring God. Maybe you need to choose to live life God's way. Not the world's way, but God's way. So follow God, get baptized, live God's way. That's just three simple out front ideas. God may have been impressing another idea on you that you need to take. So let's take that, whatever it is. Let's do it. All right, let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful for who you are. So grateful that you lead us, you guide us. I am forever grateful for your word and your spirit. And I pray that we would be in line with you and your word and your spirit. I pray that we would honor your son, Jesus Christ, above all else. And I pray that we would Live a life that references you, that is about you. I pray that we would live God-centered rather than self-centered. And I pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.